asked, I recently had somebody ask me, why did you start this series? Because I told them how many weeks in I was and how few verses we had done. They're like, wow, why did, why did you start? And I had to stop and think back again, why, what, what was the initial kind of nudge to enter into this? And it was that passage of scripture in verse three, where it says, he restores my soul. And it just struck me that God cares about the essence of life in us. And I heard Jeremy saying, he restores my soul. He restores my soul. We lose sight of him, but he never lose sight of us. And he, and he said something else. I saw him again. We're going to talk about that this morning. We're going to talk about that this morning. So it, it was exciting. It was a good, uh, it was a great springboard into what the Spirit of God say. And so we're, we are, verse 4, wow. <laughs> verse 4, Psalms 23, 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And uh, last week, we, we picked this up, and we, we looked at an idea that there was a shift in perception. Might have to bring this down a little. It's a little ringy. Um, there was a shift in perception from what the shepherd provides, right? The first two verses were what the shepherd provides. Still waters, pastures. Matter of fact, verse 1 says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want for anything the shepherd provides, right? So the first two verses were about the perception of what the shepherd provides for the sheep. But it shifts to who the shepherd is with the sheep. I think in my life, I really have to do a check when I can't tell the difference between those two anymore. When God just becomes a source of provision, I'm missing something because there's a difference between what he provides and who he is. You see it in the Garden of Eden. He gave them the garden, but he walked with them in the cool of the day. And that was his question, Adam, where are you? Right? There's a difference between what God provides and who he is with us. And there's a shift in the psalm. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Now, I want you to keep that on your radar. We're not going to spend any more time on that today, but it's some foreshadowing for what David writes in verse 5. I didn't know this until this week. I was talking with Lynn Lapkin. I was just telling him where we are, and he goes, oh, did you know? I'm like, oh, my goodness. I didn't know that. So that's, that's for next week. We can't do that. But it is some foreshadowing. Um, or what David says in verse 5. All right. Now, we also spent some time considering the tools or the implements of the shepherd, the rod and the staff, right? You know, I walk through the valley of shadow of death. I will fear no evil. You're with me. Your rod and your staff, what do they do? They comfort me. That's what it says. They comfort me. Um, I like that word. How many of you like comfort? Come on, don't lie in church. All right. He comforts me. Wow. That's a comfort. How do these things work? What do they do? So we started talking. Um, not only were we considering how they were used, we were also looking at the secret of comfort that David says they bring. When God, the good shepherd, is with me 
and he implements his tools, I am promised comfort within the culture of being shepherded. That is another term I've introduced. You're going to hear it a lot. The culture of being shepherded. In the flock, there is a culture. And leadership sets the culture. Our shepherd sets the culture. There is a way we should expect him to respond to our sheepiness. Right? I love that about God. He doesn't forget that we're sheep. He doesn't even rebuke us because we're sheep. He says, I know you by name. I love my sheep. Now, that doesn't mean that he doesn't correct us. It just means he knows who he created, right? And um, so, the first implement that, that was mentioned is the rod. And we, we spent some time with that last week. It's a, it's a wooden stick shaped similar to a billy club, right? That's pretty much, everybody know what a billy club is. It's small on one end, gets bigger on the other. Actually, theirs had a knob on the end, made out of solid wood, and, and it was used for a lot of things, but primarily it was designed for defending, right, for protecting the sheep. Now, they used it for other things. They would count with it, you know, count sheep. They would prod sheep with it, but it was designed to protect. So the rod from here on out, I'm going to refer to it in its intended design use, and that was protection. It was an instrument or an implement of protection. Uh, there's, there's a couple other things I want to bring. I'm bringing a lot back in. I don't, I don't want you to forget this, and I've kind of leaned into this a little bit already, but uh, a couple of shepherding terms, and they were the consideration of an animal's flight zone, okay? And that's the area around the sheep where the keeper moves without spooking it, okay? Um, and the other idea or, or term of shepherding was a point of balance in the flock. Uh, in the flock, sheep prefer that their shepherds stay shoulder adjacent and they will move to ensure this. And so the rod and the staff allow the shepherd an extended arm, allowing control over the sheep without breaching the flight zone or the point of balance. So, um, why do I bring that back in? I, I got. I talked about it last week. I want to. I want to just. I got to bring this back in, it, because it's such a powerful dynamic of the culture of being shepherded. Okay, the shepherd understands the makeup of the sheep. You get that? You know that's why the shepherd implements those two strategies in shepherding because they know that there's a flight zone. They know that there's a point of balance in the herd. They are, by essence, smarter than the sheep. That's why they shepherd, but they don't lord it over them. They work with the sheep. They're gracious with the sheep. They're kind when they do those things, right? And that is part of the culture of being shepherded. We have a shepherd whose understanding is so far beyond ours that we're just a head of cabbage, yet he shepherds us. He cares for us. He minds our weakness, yet he protects us and he corrects us because he loves us. The shepherd knows um, that the sheep are particular about where he stands in their midst, but rather than reprimanding them for their sheepiness, 
He comforts them with his implements and bears with them in their weakness. Isn't that amazing? That's part of a culture of being shepherded. He minds those things, and that's why he uses his rod and his staff. It's part of the culture. We've got to get this, because at some point, you have to decide if you want to be a part of that culture. And you know that you're participating in that culture by your response to his shepherding. Right? Right, okay. All right, here we go. So, um, now, I... I I put in here, and I always say this, don't mistake this for coddling their tendency to go astray. But in his shepherding, he is merciful and he is kind. Right? I love mercy. I love, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. I don't know why, because only a guilty person can receive mercy. You have to be guilty to receive mercy. It's the only attribute that is mentioned, that must be given to a guilty person. And when Jesus says, blessed are the merciful, right? Blessed are those who give mercy to those who offend them because they will receive mercy, right? The guilty forgiving the guilty, the guilty working with the guilty, and he is merciful with us, and gladly he is, all right? He loves his sheep, and he knows them by name. So, now I want to spend, I said we were going to spend some time on the staff. We're going to spend the rest of the service on the staff. Uh, I, I brought it out last week. I, somebody gave me this when we took the church, and this is traditional, you know, staff. I, I think maybe the, the crook might have been a little bit bigger. I don't know that a sheep's neck is that small. Maybe it is. I don't know. I've never grabbed a sheep by the neck. So, We'll set it right there and see if it stays so you can see it. But the staff, also referred to as a crook, is indispensable for traditional shepherds. They grip the shaft of the staff's uncurved end using the tool as an extended arm. Now, a sheep has a tendency to wander, and a sheep, listen to this, has more power, or they are most powerful, with their heads pointed downward. So when is the sheep the strongest? They got their head down. Okay, that's when they're the strongest. Hence, the staff. The shepherd, minding his body placement outside the flight zone and also maintaining the point of balance in the flock, would reach the crook towards the wandering sheep's head, hook the crooked end around the sheep's neck, thus pulling the chin up. Once the head is up, the shepherd moves the sheep back to a safe place within the flock. So what does the shepherd do with the staff? What does he do? It's, it's, um, it's, well, let's keep going. Think about that for a minute. He's, he, he's looking, he sees a sheep wandering, right? Doesn't just say to himself, stupid sheep. Your wolf's going to get you. You're going to fall in the briar pit. No, he takes his staff, minding the other sheep. Notice, I want you to get this. I'm going to say this again at the end, but all of these implements and the culture of shepherding is about the flock together with the shepherd. Right? Us together. The culture of shepherding is about us together. 
The shepherd loves the sheep, but he's not okay with wandering sheep. He's not okay with sheep that are off by themselves. And I know there's a lot of people who think it's okay. Well, God and me, you know, I can meet God as well out in the woods. Yes, you can. But that's not what his word says about his desire for you. And what I know is a lone sheep is a dead sheep. That's what I know, right? You let them wander long enough, they're a goner, okay? So now when David mentioned the staff, right? David wrote this psalm, and he was the shepherd, right? Right? David's no dummy. He, when he wrote this, he had such a good picture of what was going on because he had done it. He had done it. Oh, your staff. He knew exactly what that staff was for. He remembered reaching out, grabbing a sheep, lifting their head, moving them back to a safe place in the flock. When David mentioned the staff, he totally understood how the implement was used And he goes on to say that when God uses his staff to shepherd him, it was a comfort to him. I want to know where the comfort comes from, okay? I want to know where the comfort comes from. And I think it's very interesting that David says that both of these, one implement used for protection, and this one, which we're going to find out is used for correction, his protection and his correction are a comfort. To me, I can use all the comfort I can get. All right. So, um, when our when our sheep um, and people the strongest when they get their head down. When they get their head down, sheep are the strongest when they get their head down. That's when they have the most power to move forward, get out wherever they want to go, and people are no different. David understood this. He goes, when I get my head down, the shepherd is going to comfort me with his staff. He is going to lift my chin, right? He's going to lift my head, and he's going to draw me back into a safe place in the herd. Now, we have to choose to participate, because if you choose to keep your head down and to keep going that direction, you're gonna. You're gonna. I've watched it again and again and again. But if we understand the culture of being shepherded, and we go, man, God is trying to lift my head. We respond. We allow him to lift our head. Now, now I'm going to say this and bring it back, but when, when a shepherd lifts his sheep's head, guess what? He puts them in a place of weakness. You get that? He puts them in a place of weakness. When Paul said, when I am weak, then I am strong. He's referring to this very thing. When I allow God to lift my head and to move me into the place that he desires me to be, I'm in a place of weakness. I'm not going where I want to go. I'm not doing what I want to do. I'm not responding to the feelings that I have. I'm allowing him to guide me. Those who are led by the Spirit will be called the children of God. Okay? Who's, who's leading us right now? Who's shepherding us right now? Spirit of Christ. Spirit of Christ is. What did Jesus say? I'm going to send you another one just like me, and he will lead you into all truth. That's who's shepherding us now. Do I allow him to lift my head? Do I allow him to lift my head? All right. So what are the two most common reasons for our heads being down? Now, when I first began to think of this, I just thought of one. What's, what's, what do you think when you see somebody with their head down? Discouraged? Disappointment? Avoiding? I mean, it's just, 
I, I would sum it up with a disheartened state. They've got their head down. Kind of got their head down. Something's not right. Um, what's the other one? When we stubbornly are determined to get something done. Have you ever heard the term? They just got their head down. They just got their head down. Now, there, there's a, there's a you, know, you know, the picture of sometimes you just got to get it done. Just get your head down and get it done. Okay. All right. I'm not throwing the baby out with the bathwater. But I'm just saying... When I get determined to get something done because I'm bothered or for whatever reason or I just want to get it done, I get my head down, okay, bullheaded, right, pigheaded, I'm going to get it done. And, and, and you want to know what happens when I do that? I become my strongest, and where are my eyes not? On Christ. I got my head down. Okay, so these are the two most common times that we would get our head down. And both of these scenarios are pictures of us at our strongest, even though each scenario is fueled by different conditions. And I I put this, and I truly believe this. The two scenarios represent 99% of the worst, most costly decisions you will ever make in this life. When you got your head down. Because you are disheartened. How many people do you know that entered into a life of addiction because of disappointment or disheartenment? Okay, we get our get our heads down. Can't see things when we can't see. How many people do you know who have lost everything because they got their head down determined to do something? Man, I know people that have been determined to have relationships. I know people that have been determined to have jobs. I know people that have been determined to have wealth and they've shipwrecked everything because they've got their head down, but they were strong doing it. No turning them. When we get our heads down, we are our strongest. And that's when the Spirit of Christ comes. And without... Now, now listen to me. Listen to me. So many times when we get to feeling like that, what we, what we want, what we desire is, you know, God, I just want you to show up and, and help me. I want you to, you know, God, put your stamp of approval on my plan. Or, or God, help me to feel better. I want you to, to, to just show up and... And make it okay. I, I need to feel better. But you have to understand the culture of being shepherded is that God is minding not only you, but an entire flock. And rather than disrupting the whole flock, what's he do? He takes his staff and he reaches out and he puts this sucker around your neck. Who's <coughs> trying to rein me in? What's he doing? Trying to lift your head. And lift your head going, come on. Come on, Brent. Back over here. My best for you is over here, not over there. Lift your head. Get your eyes back on me. Let me restore your soul. Let me comfort you in my correction. The staff is primarily designed as an implement of correction. 
And what did David say the Lord's correction produced in sheep that participate in the culture of being shepherded? What's it produce? What's his correction produce? Comfort. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, I will say, repentance brings comfort. In repentance and rest is your salvation, Scripture says. Do you know that repentance is a response to the lifting of your head? Remember when you came to Christ? What did you do? Man, you looked up for your redemption draws nigh, right? Right? You looked up. You looked at him. Isn't it interesting that in our desire to please him and to, to see his kingdom, we still, we get our head down. We get our head down, but he knows our sheepiness, and so he extends his staff, and he lifts our head, and he calls us back to repentance again and again and again, and it is a comfort to us. Are you able to say, this is such a question, you need to consider this, you should consider this all week. Are you able to say that the Lord's correction is a comfort to you? Is his correction a comfort to you? I've been surprised over the years at how many times people have expressed their dislike of finding out that their lives were not well aligned with how God sees it. Right here, right here in this sanctuary, I've talked to people. They go, wow, pastor, that was a good sermon, but I really didn't care for it. Like, you stepped on my toes. I just don't like that feeling. Really? Because, like, as a sheep, I understand that that there's this turbidity of soul that's happening in me, right? And I'm, I'm crying out, and I'm saying, oh, God, help me. I need life. I need you to comfort me. And when the Spirit of Christ corrects me, when he brings something into light, you want to know what I understand? I have just been set free from the scheme of the devil to destroy me. And that is such a comfort. I'm like, God, thank you for correcting me. I have struggled with this for years. I have felt the weight of this thing in my life for years, and now you show me. And yes, I have to own it. Yes, that was mine. Yes, I did that. Yes, I willingly participated. God, I ask you to forgive me. And now, with my head up, move me to the place in the flock that you have for me. I was walking over here, but now I'm walking over here. You are restoring my soul. Now I am back walking in the path of how you see it the path of righteousness, right? You want to know what happens? Comfort. Oh, God. Yeah, no, no, no discipline seems pleasant at the moment, but it produces a harvest of righteousness in those who are trained by it. That's what it says in Hebrews, right? Right. It is his rod and his staff. They comfort me. When God corrects his sheep. He brings lurking death into the light and set his people free from the bondage of sin and death. I am now finding so much comfort in God's correction. I'm realizing that he is setting me free from the tormenting, destructive cycles of the devil and his cohort. To the point that I no longer wait for God's corrective love in my life. I remember when... 
when I first rededicated my life to the Lord. I, I just wanted so much to please God that there's some things, right? Isn't it funny how we pretend we can hide things from God? Like he doesn't know it's there, right? And so it's like trying to hide things. And then, you know, when you get caught, it's like, oh, you feel so bad. Oh, I'm such a bad person and all this shame and all this stuff. And so then we we run around, we're like, man, I've got such a good run going. I hope nobody finds out I'm doing this because that would really make me. No. Now I pray, God, would you correct me? God, would you please correct me? I already understand I don't see things the way you see them. I already understand that there are parts of my life that are not aligned with who you are, but I can't even see it. I'm blinded to it, or I don't understand, or it's not the season, but God, I'm praying. I'm petitioning you. Would you correct me? Would you come and put your finger on the things in my life that do not align with who you are and how you see it. Because I know that it will be comfort to me when you correct me. Right? Don't, don't, don't wait to get caught. Don't, don't, when you, especially if you know that there's something you go, well, how do you know? Well, if you had to stand before a judge, or if you had to stand before a court, or if you had to stand before God and give an answer for that right now, would you be red in the face? Right? Like, why do you do that? Well, I do that because I think nobody's looking. Okay, that's probably a good place to start. Better let him lift your head. You don't want to stay there. I I don't care how simple it seems. It um, very interesting. Um, it's in my notes, but I was reading this this week, and because when we went to Israel, we got some insights into this. You know the the um, the passage, multiple places, but at the end of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew, Jesus talks about the one who hears the word of God and does it, and the one who hears the word of God and doesn't. And and what comes against both houses? A storm. So when we went down to the Dead Sea, I just kind of got this this week. Um, when they have a storm, even if it's clear up in Jerusalem, right, um, all of this water goes to, if it doesn't go into the Sea of Galilee, it goes to the Dead Sea. And there's these big things called wadis, and they fill up with water. They kind of hold water, but if it's a big storm, these wadis just overflow, and all of a sudden you have these torrents of, of rivers that just show up. I mean, as you go along, you can see the where the water comes over the cliffs, especially down by the Dead Sea, and where it has washed out entire roads and communities. And so when Jesus gives this story, these people understood what the sudden storm, you want to know the interesting thing about it? You can have a big storm in Jerusalem where you can't even see the clouds at the Dead Sea, but you can still get washed away like that. He says, so he who built his house upon the rock, the sudden storm, the sudden flood, did not wash it away. But he who built his house on the sand suffered great loss, right? This is, a, this is a dig down, build your house on the rock thing. God, am I willing to respond to the culture of your shepherding and allow you to lift my head? Because there's areas of my life where I get my head down consistently. I'm not talking about having a bad day. I'm talking about consistent patterns of living. God, I just need to respond and allow you to lift my head. You understand my sheepiness, 
But God, I am asking you, let your correction comfort me. Correct me. Don't wait around until somebody has to confront you. And when you go to God and say, God, correct me, I understand that on my best day, I don't see life the way you see it. I know I'm wrong. Hmm, how's that taste in your mouth? Like vinegar. But say it anyway. God, I'm wrong. I'm wrong. I'm a sheep. You're the shepherd. Show me your way so I can walk with you. Right? All right. So it is a comfort. Is his correction a comfort? Is it a comfort to you? Now, this brings me to a thought that I presented a little bit earlier about the shepherd being gracious and kind in his shepherding because he understands the nature and the makeup of sheep. I asked the question, I'm going to ask it again. How many of you like comfort? Now, now, it's not a trick question, and church isn't the place to lie. How many of you like comfort? Right, all right, all right. It, 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 there's some circles where they would tell you that's carnal, and I don't, I don't, I believe when God put Adam and Eve in the garden, there was a high level of comfort there. I mean, he's an amazing God. Now, um, I can, I can allow comfort to become misplaced and overgrown in my life, can I? Can I? But the desire to know comfort, and so I think it's very interesting, um, because I hate discomfort right? I want comfort in my life. It's so interesting that the shepherd understands one of the greatest motivators in my life and that he goes so far in his shepherding as to offer me comfort. I never looked at it like that before. God, you offer me comfort. Now, it's how I define comfort and where I get comfort that's now going to rise to the top because this becomes the question. His protection and his correction, they comfort me. God offers you a sanctified comfort against which there is no law. The second question would be, if his protection and his correction are not your regular source of comfort, where are you finding your comfort? I think these ought to be the primary sources of comfort in our lives. If you're finding comfort someplace else, and you're avoiding the comfort that he offers, then I would say you have your head down, and you're not responding to his staff that is correction. There's comfort that leads to death. There's a way that seems right to a man, but the end of that thing is death, right? What does Paul tell us about the Lord's correction? He says, he says, we don't sorrow as the world sorrows. We don't get our head down that way. That sorrow leads to death. He goes, but God in his compassion corrects us, and that leads to what? Leads to life leads to life. Jesus said, I came that you might have life and have it to the full. If God's correction leads to life and it leads to comfort and it leads to salvation, 
Why would I not willingly participate more? Because I will guarantee you daily, the Spirit of God is reaching towards me with his staff to lift my head. Go, hey, look at me. Look at me. Look at me. Do you want to know where I'm going? Do you want to know what I'm doing? Do you want me to lead you in a path of righteousness? Do you really want me to restore your soul? Ask for my comfort. God, would you protect me and would you correct me? I put here uh, when I asked, where are you finding your comfort? If you're not finding your comfort in those areas, in his protection and correction, then you're not finding comfort. Just deceptive traps that offer comfort but deliver more pain and disappointment than you could have ever imagined. I, I know that from my life. I have never once gotten my head down in disappointment or being pig-headed and ended up being comforted. Always sorrow. Always more pain. Um, it, it, it's so interesting, even, even if you talk to um, people who work with addiction, which spans such a wide range, but they say every addictive behavior, the behavior mood alters up, but the result is that you end up in a lower place when the event's over. So you're always going down. Every time you mood alter, whether it's with, with uh, whatever, eating chocolate, buying cars, pornography, you name the addictive behavior, it's always, oh, comfort. But you end up in a lower place. You're not finding comfort. You're not finding comfort. But his rod and his staff, they comfort me. Allow God to lift your head and bring you into a place of dependence on who he is so you can experience the comfort of his staff. Um, Matthew chapter 6, verse 13. This is part of Jesus teaching people to pray in the Sermon on the Mount. This, this particular verse within the teaching has always been of interest to me. Because of how it was translated, it almost seems to, to uh, contradict other things that are said in Scripture, but it really doesn't. And Jesus said when you pray, and he said, and do not lead us into temptation. Very interesting lead shepherd ways, right? We got the pictures in here. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. It begs to ask a question, how are we tempted? Lead us not into temptation. That seems very counterintuitive to how I think about God. And actually it is because in James, right? Jesus' stepbrother writes this. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Got my head down. I'm going after something. Right? That's how we're tempted. And so I go back to what Jesus said when he's teaching a prayer. And I have always paraphrased it this way when I read it. I, I believe this is what the shepherd was teaching us about our prayer. Pray this way. God, if you can see that what I long for will be bad for me, don't allow me to have it. God, I'm praying 
that you will thwart my plans if they're not your plan. I'm asking that you would correct me. I'm asking that you would lift my head, get my eyes back on you, and draw me into the place that you have for me and away from the place that I was heading with my head down. Correct me because your correction is a comfort to me. And I'll tell you what, in the world that we live in, we need to be comforted. Paul said the last days are going to be hard to bear, and they are. But you know what? You only make it worse when you keep your eyes on that stuff. Right? God, would you please correct me? Would you lift my head and get my eyes back on what you are doing? I don't care what the devil's doing. Greater is he who's in me than he who's in the world. You want to know the best thing you can do? Be about the shepherd's business. Come on. Get your eyes off. Let him lift your head. Man, I know people, they got their head stuck in that stuff. And I'm like, well, sorry, that's all you can see. But you know what? God's working in my life. And he's working in today, and there is more potential in my community and around me today because of the dysfunction. And so I'm going to be about his business. God, correct me, lift my head, get me back into place, lead me in the path of righteousness, show me your provision, show me your will. Restore my soul. His protection and his correction. They comfort me. Uh, and one more thing, I already said this, I don't know, spent a lot of time on it, about the culture of being shepherded is the rod and the staff, the protection and the correction are both implements to create a culture of us together with the shepherd. Okay? The shepherd never considers a sheep off by themselves okay. I don't care how you spin it. I don't care how you proof text your Bible. You try to find places to show me where it's okay for you to be off by yourself and disconnected from the body of Christ. I'm not saying you have to come here. But he placed each in the body as he desired, so there is a place for you that you should be. And if you're not, you've got your head down, spinning your own story, and you're not responding to the shepherd. That's nice. Okay. There is great comfort reserved for us together with the shepherd. Now, let me ask this. If you're unresponsive to the rod and the staff, will they be a comfort to you? No. No. Matter of fact, Paul tells the Corinthians, he says to To those who are responding, it's the scent of life. And to those who are not, it is the scent of death. Right? And and Jesus talks about that. He talks about those who would respond to him and those who wouldn't. To one, he was a stumbling block. And to the other, they were going to be smashed into powder. Man, I want to be comforted. I want to be comforted. And I'm here to tell you, I love it when God corrects me. I'm not saying that it's not painful sometimes, but I come away with that with a restorative sense in my soul going, yes, God, I am with you. You are with me. 
What are you making? What are you making? You're going to lead me victoriously. This is where I become more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus who saved me. Uh, a few scriptures. I'm just going to give you a few scriptures. You can study these out on your own, but I thought they were very interesting in regard or in light of the rod and the staff and the culture of shepherding and how Scripture speaks about these things. And you're going to find as you go through, you'll run across any time where you see somebody's head being lifted. It's going to draw you back to this. Psalms 3.3. So this is David later on in life um, when he has been driven from Jerusalem by his son Absalom. Okay, he writes this. Psalms 3.3. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory, and the one who lifts my head. Very interesting because you see this portrayed so well on the way out of Jerusalem. What happens to David when he's crossing the brook through the Kishon Valley when they're fleeing? What happens? He's cursed there. One of Saul's descendants, and I can't remember his name, but he was there cursing David. And, and, and one of Joab, I don't, remember, I don't remember which one it was, one of his generals said, hey, let me go over and strike this guy down. And David says, no. He goes, if this is from God, then we'll find out. Leave him be. Right? David allowed him to lift his head and move him in a difficult time. Now, this is a disheartened, the lifter of my head. Of course, David writes this later, right? the lifter of my head. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9 and 10, uh, familiar, I, I, I alluded to a little bit today, and he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. The, my power is perfected in weakness. More gladly, therefore, Paul says, I will boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. He's not, he's not saying, oh, I'm so glad I do this. He's just saying, God, correct me. Correct me so that your power can, so that your comfort can dwell in me. Therefore, I'm well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties, all things that make you put your head down. For Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I'm strong. When am I weak? When he lifts my head. When am I strong? When I got my head down. God loves your dependence far more than he loves your strength. When my head is up, I'm dependent upon him. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. How did he endure the cross? With his head up. What did he do in the garden? He allowed God to lift his head. Father, if there's any other way, but not my will, yours be done. With his head up, he allowed his father to lift his head. He endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. 
Psalms 121, verses 1 and 2, one of the Psalms of Ascent. The writer says, I will lift my eyes to the mountains. From where shall my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Very interesting. Um, uh, reading a book by Eugene Peterson called Discipleship, a long obedience in the same direction on the songs of ascent. And he says, very interesting in the psalm because when we read it, now if you live here, and this is how I've always interpreted, I walk out and I look up and I see the mountains and I go, oh God, <laughs> wow, look at what you've done. Like if you can do this, you can do anything. But that's not the interpretation of this first. In this time, what happened on the mountain? This is where all the other altars were built. This is where all the people went to sacrifice under their own trees and do it their own way. And the psalmist says, I lift my eyes up and I look at the, I'm not getting my help there. My help comes from there. Lift your head. Lift your head. If you're looking at the mountains, you got your head down. Lift your head. From where does my help come? My help comes from God, the maker of heaven and earth. His rod and his staff, they comfort me. His protection and his correction. I don't typically have many people that say protection doesn't comfort me. But his correction. Not many of us have good memories of correction. Most of the time, correction involves shame. It involves, um, you know, being embarrassed, a level of pain sometimes in the corrections. We go, I don't like correction. I don't like correction. But Scripture says, only he can release my foot from the snare. See, God's the one setting me free from is there some pain involved? Sure there is. It's a letting go. It's a giving up. There's always something involved. But his correction comforts me as it leads me to life. Amen. Father, we thank you that you are our shepherd. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the spirit of Christ who is here with us. Holy Spirit, we invite you to correct us. We invite you. No, no correction seems pleasant at the moment, but we know that you are restoring our souls in it. We know that you are comforting us in it. And we want to be responsive to your staff. We want to be responsive and willing participants in the culture of being shepherded. The sheep must understand that God has their good in mind. The shepherd has their good in mind when he lifts their head, when he calls them into a place of weakness and dependence on who he is. Spirit of Christ, would you lead us forward from this place? I just ask that your word would resonate in our hearts. Throughout this week, would you give us opportunities and help us to recognize the opportunities to be comforted by your rod and your staff? 
God, we pray for each one here today. Would you lift our heads? God, would you bring our gaze back onto you? Thank you that you do not abandon us. You do not cast us away. You, you wait for us. But God, you are always reaching for us to lift our heads. God, to get our eyes off the things that draw us away and to get our eyes back onto you. God, to give us life and life abundant. We thank you for all of these things. In the wonderful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. So, today, what a great opportunity. If you need to be comforted, we have people here to pray with you. What scriptures say? Confess your sins to one another that you may be healed. Man, it's a great comfort to be healed, right? Amen. We have that. Uh,